Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for all of your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your thankful, wonderful heart toward us. God, today we give you praise. Anoint your word in my lips and in our ears and our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Well, I recognized a few of those little munchkins in that video saying, Papa, throwing us kisses. Well, this coming Thursday, most of us will be gathered together with family and friends at the table, and uh, we're going to be at uh, Dad's house on Thursday, then Saturday, our crew's going to come, and we're going to have Thanksgiving with them, and that, that's always interesting. There will be food in the floor, and uh, mashed potatoes in the hair, and all kind of wonderful, wonderful things. I... Uh, heard about a little five-year-old that was uh, praying and saying grace, and that night they said, Lord, thank you so much for the pancakes. Mom and Dad said, uh, did you realize that we're having chicken? And the little one said, well, I was just seeing if God was paying attention today. <laughs> then there was uh, the one that was praying over the Thanksgiving meal, and so they got very eloquent in their prayer. Lord, thank you for the ham, and thank you for the turkey, and thank you for the dressing, the cranberry sauce, and thank you for the pumpkin pies, and thank you for the pecan pies, and the cool whip, and began to wax eloquent. I mean, just thanking God for everything, and then in the middle of the prayer, uh, Mom, I didn't thank uh, God for the broccoli because he knew I'd be lying if I did. And then one of the young men in the church that grew up, uh, he said, when I was little, we pr prayed this prayer when we uh, ate, uh, God is good, God is great, let's thank him for our food. And said it was uh, a little later, I, I realized we weren't praying to a goddess. Uh, God is good, God is great, you know. And I said, okay, that's a good thing, you got that down. And, and then lastly, there was a little girl, she was uh, invited to pray over the meal, and it was the holiday. She's six years old. And she said, Mom, I'm really not for sure if I know how to pray. And uh, Mom said, well, just pray what you hear Mom pray. And so she prayed this, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people over to dinner? <laughs> that might have not been the right prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 31, it's the last chapter of that book. And in that chapter, we see the death of the first king of Israel, King Saul. He's in a battle with the Philistines, he and the army of Israel. The battle goes against Israel, and the archers have struck Saul, and he is wounded. He's mortally wounded. He's about to die. But life is still in his body. He turns to his armor bearer and says, Fall upon me, because if these uncircumcised Philistines get me, they will torture me. They will use me in so many ways. Please take my life. And the armor bearer refuses to do that. He was afraid to kill the Lord's anointed, the king. So Saul falls on his sword and he tries to commit suicide in the midst of that battle, if you will, in his life that's already ebbing away. 
And the armor bearer does the same. He falls on his sword and he dies. But there's still life in Saul. And an Amalekite comes by and Saul calls out to him and says, Would you fall upon me and take the rest of my life? And he does. And now we have the death of King Saul. And three of his sons. And one of those sons is Jonathan, the beloved of David. They have this extreme bond, this extreme friendship. Now let's fast forward, if you will. Because what happened here is devastating. The Philistines do take the body of Saul. They decapitate him. They cut his head off. They take his armor and put in the temple of their false gods. And then they nail his body to the wall. They hang his body to the wall. And they hang Saul's sons to the wall. And some very brave men come and steal those bodies and they take them and burn them and give them the most decent burial that they can give them considering the circumstances. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David by this time is anointed king. You know, David was anointed three times. He was anointed by Samuel at the house of his father Jesse. He's anointed by Judah those that followed him and from the family he is from. And then later, he's anointed by all of Israel. He's anointed three times. Uh, you know, David did serve as king and priest and prophet. He had that kind of anointing. Really indicative of the coming king, Jesus Christ. And now in chapter 9, verse 1, and David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel of Lodabar. Then David sent and brought him from the house of Makur, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Now, if you realize this, um, this passage, David is looking for someone to show kindness to. Do you realize you have a king that's trying to show kindness to you? Just as David is looking for someone to show the love, the grace, the kindness of someone. This is Titus chapter 3, Paul writing verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So God has that kind of love, that kind of kindness to you and I. Then in Isaiah, God said, with a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So he's looking for someone to show kindness to. Now, this young man, by the name of Mephibosheth, what a name, right? So I hadn't heard of anybody naming their kids Mephibosheth after I've read this. Uh, you know, biblical names are really kind of tricky and it's hard to say his name, but here is an heir of Saul, a grandson. Here is the son of Jonathan, a prince. And let me tell you where he's at. He is at a very remote place called Lodabar. Now, Lodabar in the original language in Hebrew means no pasture. Now, not pastor, but no pasture. 
There's not any fodder. There is not any pasture for the sheep or the oxen or the cattle or the camels or any of the livestock. Let me tell you, it is an impoverished place. This is a place you don't want to live. Now, let me just uh, share a few things, and please don't throw anything at me. Have you ever been a place you wondered how people lived where they were? How many of you have ever been to New Mexico? Or Arizona? Or Western Oklahoma? Or West Texas? Let me tell you, some of those places I've been to, I mean, there was nothing but dirt and dust and a mobile home and an old shack and two cars and a satellite dish. And you're wondering, what do these people do for a living and what in the world are they living here? And they probably think about us here in Oklahoma. Why are they living here? So Carrie and I decided this is where our relatives ran out of money and were stuck. So Carrie, every once in a while, says, why couldn't we live somewhere where it's nice, where it rains, it doesn't get so hot? I don't know, honey, I'm not for sure. But there are places you look and you think, what are these people doing here? Load of bars, that kind of place. No pasture. It's the ghetto. And here is a king's grandson, a prince's son, stuck, struggling to survive, trying to eke out some kind of life. Every day's a struggle. This guy is really kind of hiding because of what might befall him that happened to his grandfather and his father and his uncles and, and the household of Saul. How many of you know this is not a good situation? And now he is feeling the lack around him, and he is at a place where he probably doesn't want to be. But he's stuck. Now, here's a question. Does this king that's currently in place remember, does he remember? How many of you have ever said this to God? God, do you remember where I'm at? How many of you have prayed that prayer? We're voting. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? Lord, do you remember where I'm at? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm facing? God, do you see what's going on in my life? And guess what? He sees. So here King David is looking for this young man to show him love and mercy and kindness. And does the king remember? Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, David and Jonathan were great, extreme friends. I mean, there's probably no friendship between a, a man and a man that's any more intimate and close than David and Jonathan. Now, let me tell you why. Jonathan has saved David's life time and time and time again, and David realizes it. Not only does David realize this, even Saul realized that Jonathan has an affinity and affection toward David because this is what Jonathan knows. This young man is anointed by God. He is going to be the next king. Dad, I love you, but when you consult witches, and when you don't obey the prophet of God, and when you don't do what God says, and when you refuse to go out to battle, let me tell you something. I love you, but I know this is the up-and-coming king of Israel, and I'm going to protect his life. And David knew it. And they actually came into a league, a covenant, a promise. Let me read it to you, 1 Samuel 20, 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Say that with me, forever. 
forever. Let's say it again, forever. So this is what they, they said to each other. We may not see each other again. We're going to part ways. You're going one way. You're hiding. I'm still the king's son. But let's do this. Let's show kindness to our descendants forever. And David never forgot that. Here he is looking for someone to show kindness to. And here, Mephibosheth is in the backside of the desert, if you will, in Lodabar, no pasture, no future, no dream, no better tomorrow, and David is looking for him. Can the king find me? Have you ever wondered if God could find you? Have you ever wondered if God is going to show up? Let, let me just give you verse 4 here. David asked the question, where is he? David sent and brought him. King James Version says, and David fetched him. David fetched him. How, how many of you know that's a good old Oklahoma word? David fetched him. Uh, Carrie and I used to have a border collie dog by the name of Barney. And Barney would go and help me uh, you know, load cattle. and We'd go out and feed cattle. Little black and white border collie. And uh, so I had the habit of when we got ready to go, or we got ready to come home, Barney would be running around this border collie, and I'd say, load up. And old Barney, he'd just jump right in back of that old truck. Come on, Barney, load up. And I got in the habit, when Carrie and I was going somewhere, I'd look at her and I'd say, come on, load up, let's go. <laughs> and I did it so many times, finally she said, Mike, I'm not your dog. <laughs> I got it, honey. David fetched him. So now he is looking where he is. This is verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all of the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Wow. So not only is the king looking for him, what does the king find? Look, look at verse 3. This is what Ziba said. Yeah, there is a son. David, there is a son, the son of Jonathan, but he is crippled. He is crippled in his feet. You see, when, when Saul was killed and Jonathan was killed, there was an uproar in the land of Israel. I mean, now we don't have a king. People are jockeying for position. The Philistines are trying to overrun the land. So Mephibosheth, just a little boy. He's just a kid, five years old. And when they're trying to flee for their life, the nurse the maid that has charge of keeping him is running out of the palace, and as they run out, she drops him, and they fall together, and now this little boy is crippled for the rest of his life. So what does the king find? Let me tell you what he finds. He finds a young man that's been crippled from since he was a little boy. This guy's handicapped. This guy cannot walk, and it's not his fault. Let me ask you a question. Have you lived your life in such a way that there are things that's happened to you that's not your fault, but somebody dropped you along the way? 
Somebody didn't do what they should have done. Somebody didn't watch their step, and now you are abused and you're misused, and, and now you have some issues in your own life because somebody dropped you. Let me tell you, if you ever drop a baby, how many of you know that's a horrible, horrible thing? Some people have been dropped in divorce. Some people have been dropped in a job. Some people have been dropped in a relationship. Maybe they've been dropped in a position. And that is always hurtful, isn't it? You have these feelings and you have this thought, well, you know, who am I? Like a Mephibosheth, am I just a dead dog to you? And here he has this account and this thing in his life, someone who was supposed to care for him and nurture him dropped him along the way. There's a lot of people, let me tell you, they've been hurt by somebody who should have cared for them. How many of you know that I'm exactly right on that? They, they have been hurt and misused and abused either physically or sexually or psychologically or emotionally, and, and you still feel the pain today. You, you still feel that hurt, and it's caused you to do some limping along in your life. You feel like you've been crippled just a little bit. But, but here's the good news. You know, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to keep going in that direction, that way, with that attitude. But it's true, sometimes people don't provide for us like we should be provided for. So, sometimes they don't love us like we should be loved. Sometimes they don't care for us like we should be cared for. So, sometimes there are people who do things in our lives that give us a skewed look or a crippled look or we're doing some limping along the way. Can I hear an amen to that? You probably know some. But look at verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. Look at verse 8. Then he bowed himself down and said, what is your servant that you should look upon him such as a dead dog as I? Listen, if you've been exiled to Floaty Bar, if you've limped through your life, if you've been dropped by those who should have cared for you, you could have some self-esteem problems. And he does. Notice how he looks at his life. I'm just a, a dead dog here. I'm damaged goods. And sometimes if you don't watch it, the enemy will make you feel like you and I are damaged goods. But you're not. You're not. And I don't know who this message is for today, but I do believe that some of you are thinking about some things in your childhood, things as you were growing up, maybe a relationship to a dad or a mom or a dysfunction in your life that has tried to cripple you, but I'm here to tell you the king is looking for you. He has a different trajectory for you today. And here, the king's kindness and his grace is fixing to be extended to this crippled young man. Verse 7, so David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Let me give you three things that this crippled young man finds. Number one, he finds restoration. Say that with me. Restoration. Let's say it again. Restoration. Did you hear what the king just said? He said, everything that King Saul had, I'm going to give it to you. That's a king's bounty. Think about all the land, the property, the wealth, 
the good things that the king, first king of Israel had, the king David looked at this crippled young man. He said, now I will restore all of it back to you. Wow. Here's the second thing. Provision. What? What kind of provision? I've been living in Lodabar. Let me tell you, we've been eating out of the food bank down there. This has been difficult. No pasture. Now David says, you shall eat bread at my table and never go hungry. Wow. Provision. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to provide for you. Verse 11. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Well, here's the third one, position. Did you catch it? Mephibosheth, you're not going to be in exile at Lodabar where there's no pasture. You're coming out of the ghetto here. You're going to sit at my table and you will be like one of the king's sons. Do you realize that you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're one of the king's sons. You're one of the king's daughters. And you and I can continually come and eat at his table because no longer does he look at us like this or that. He says, you are going to be one of the king's sons. Look at verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce that your master's grandsons may have bread to eat but Mephibosheth. Listen, you go plant it, you till it, you invest it, you got control of it, but let me tell you, Mephibosheth won't need anything because he is going to be in my house. He's going to be at this palace. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Continually consistently, regularly, he's going to be eating at my table. How, how many of you think that this guy's life has now radically changed? Radically changed. If you know anything about the culture of the Middle East, because they were rather nomadic, they lived in a lot of tents, they moved, that much of the table really wasn't a table. I mean, it was a table, but they reclined. It was low. They didn't really have tables and chairs like we have. But once they were a little bit more permanent, they had houses, they, they had you know, temples, they, they had dwelling places, then they did have some tables and chairs. I mean, we read about that in the Bible. But can you imagine... That this young man, I don't know if he could walk. I don't know if someone had to carry him. I don't know if he was on crutches. I don't know if he could be mobile, but yet with a very severe limp. But let me tell you what happens. When Mephibosheth comes to the king's table, can you imagine that maybe that tablecloth just covered his crippled legs? Or when he was reclining at the table, someone came and threw the cloth over his crippled legs. Isn't it amazing that you and I showed up crippled to God? Maybe not physically, but maybe emotionally, maybe psychologically. But I'll guarantee you we showed up crippled by sin. And now we're at the king's table, and we talked about it today. The blood of Jesus now covers our crippled lives, covers our sinful lives, eradicates the sin out of our life, and now we don't have to live 
at that crippled lifestyle anymore. We don't have to be the dead dog mentality person anymore, do we? We don't have to be second rate. Now the Lord has come and he has called us his own. You know, personally, David didn't own Mephibosheth anything. But he did have a league. He did have a promise with his father, Jonathan. And because of Jonathan, now Mephibosheth is getting the blessings of the king. Can I tell you today, you have the blessings of the king? Every one of us. Every one of us, we are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. And you don't have to live in lack. You don't have to live in regret. You don't have to live if somebody dropped you along the way, misused you along the way. You don't have to live in that hurt, that shame. You don't have to live that crippled life anymore because God has been looking for you. And he finds you just the way you are, and he brings you in. He sets you at his table. He covers you with his love, grace, and kindness. And he says, you shall eat at my table continually. Man, that's good news. It's good news for everybody here. Let me shift gears here a little bit. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Exodus. This is Exodus chapter 25. The Lord is speaking to the children of Israel through Moses. God speaks to Moses. Moses shares it with Israel. He says, you shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length. That's about 36 inches. A cubit, its width, about 18 inches. And a cubit and a half, about 27 inches, its height. So the Lord is saying to Moses, when you furnish this tabernacle in the wilderness, there shall be a courtyard. There shall be a, a laver, there, there shall be a, a basin, there's an altar, you come in, there's a holy place, you keep going inside, there's the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be set. There I'm going to meet with you, verse 30 of 25, and you shall put the bread of the presence of the showbread on the table before me always. Chapter 26, verse 35 you shall set the table outside of the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. How many of you know God has a table? That verse says God has a table. So he's saying, Moses, in the holy place, I want you to make a table. And I want you to lay the bread on the table. You bring those loaves and you lay that bread out on the table in the holy place, right outside the Holy of Holies. And inside of that holy place, there is a lampstand. It is a menorah. And that lampstand sets across from that table where the bread is laid out. And they would regularly take that bread and they would change it out over and over and over. So there'd always be fresh bread on the table. And the only way, because you have come in to that holy place that is surrounded by the veils and the tent. And then there is the huge veil separating the holy of holies but there in that inner chamber where it is dark the only light comes from the lampstand it's the only light and that lampstand is ablaze by the oil that's in the lamp and the only way you can see the bread is by the light of the lampstand my friends let me tell you something 
On God's table today, there is still bread. On God's table today, there's still bread. And he has invited every one of us to come and eat the bread at his table. Can I hear an amen to that? How many of you know, we, we pray this prayer, our Father which art in heaven, how to be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give us what? Our daily bread. We, we don't want yesterday's bread. We don't want uh, a month ago's bread. We want fresh bread. And let me tell you something. Today on God's table, we can see the illumination of the bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And let me tell you, that bread, which represents the word of God, is illuminated by the lamp, the fire, which is fueled by the oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you will not understand everything I say, but once the Holy Spirit comes into you and upon you, you will understand because the Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher it will illuminate the word in your life so today the words illuminated at the table and guess what happens every time we come up here Sunday morning multiple service Sunday night Wednesday night when we're in classes down the hall your teachers are teaching pastors are preaching there are people who are ministering in many multiple ways you know what they're doing they're serving the bread they keep serving the bread, serving the bread. Not yesterday's day-old bread, not a week old, not a month old. Honey, when we come in here, we need some fresh bread. And I want to guarantee you there are hundreds of thousands of people going to churches over and over and over, and let me tell you what they're hearing. They're eating stale old bread. And that's why doors are closing. That's why people are not coming. That's why the churches aren't growing, because they have the old bread. Let me tell you, we need our daily bread. And we need the lamp to shine in the holy place to illuminate the bread. Let me just uh, close with this. How many of you have heard this old, old hymn written in 1907, the same year that Oklahoma became a state? Come and dine. Has anyone ever heard that old hymn? Come and dine, the master calleth come and dine you may feast at jesus table all the time do you know jesus is still spreading the table i mean there's still bread on the table it's not those loaves that were in that holy place sitting on the on the table i mean those were important back there i mean in those days it was important and let me share this with you there was one time david went to the priest and he said do you have anything to eat and the priest said, the only thing I got is the showbread, or the bread that lies in the presence of God. And David said, that's okay, let me eat it. How I many you know we ought to be eating that same bread? Not, not the physical bread, not the natural bread, but we ought to be eating the bread of God, the Word of God, illuminated, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so you and I can go out these doors, live a life that's shining, that's salty, that will impact our world, impact, impact our county, impact our world beyond these walls, beyond the borders of what you think God can do in our life, because we have been eating at his table. And Mephibosheth had a life change. I mean, this young crippled man 
who thought he would never, ever see the light of day the way he used to live as a prince's son. And now the king comes to him and says, everything your family ever owed, everything your family ever had, everything your family ever possessed, now it is yours. And you will sit at my table continually and eat the food at my table, and you will be like a king's son. You know what? That ought to make some of us just absolutely shout. I remember we were talking about this the other day. How many of you remember the first time you ever saw a $100 bill? Does anybody remember that? The first time I ever saw a $100 bill, I was dating Carrie, and she didn't have it. We were going to the National Finals Rodeo when it was in Oklahoma City. I went with her and her parents. We went out to eat at a steakhouse. And I remember her dad paid for the meal. He got his bill filled out, and he pulled out a $100 bill. It was the first time in my life I ever saw a $100 bill. I've been living at Lodi Bar. <laughs> can, can you imagine from five years old living in a ghetto, crippled, handicapped, and now somebody ushers you in in the presence of the king and sets you down at his table and slides you up and covers your crippled body and says, you can come here every day and eat at this table. Guess what? We can come to the king's table every day and eat at his table. How blessed are we? How blessed are we that you and I can come to his table every day and slide our feet under and he feeds us like a king's kid. My, my chest is kind of swelling a little bit right now. Goodness gracious, not, not in pride, but in thanksgiving that he would reach down to where I was in my condition, and say, Mike, come and slide under my table. You're my son now. Bow your head with me. Say, come and play. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in trouble. But here's the good news. You can come today and the Lord will... He'll give you that love and kindness and grace that David is giving this young man that we just talked about. Today, if you uh, will repent of your sins and call out his name and throw your life upon his love, kindness, grace, and mercy, the Bible says you can be saved and you can go to heaven. You don't maybe deserve it. You can't work for it. 
you're not good enough, and by that kindness, grace, and mercy, that is all yours, and it's mine. Or maybe today you've wandered off, and you're really not at the place you should be with the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Would you like to be right with Him? Would you like to come back to be at the place you need to be with God Almighty? If that's you, and I know it takes a little courage to do this, but would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be right with God today. So it's just as simple as lifting your hand and we're going to pray for you. And That doesn't mean that you know, you're joining the church or anything, but it means you're going to get right with God. Thank you. So somebody else, thank you. Thank you for making that acknowledgement that you need to be right with God. Now, here's the next question. This is important, I think. Could there be anyone here that somewhere in your life you feel like you were dropped? You feel like there was a stumble? That somebody who should have cared for you or looked after you or provided for you stumbled along the way and you got caught in the hurt, you got caught in the pain? Maybe you were misused or abused sexually, physically, emotionally. I'm here to tell you, there's a good king here to restore to you what you need. To give you right position. To put you under his table. So if there's ever been that in your life, if you've limped along a little bit with that, it's kind of changed you some, or a lot. With your eyes closed, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor Mike, man, I've had some drops in my life. I've had some things happen to me I wish it hadn't happened. Uh, I've had some hurt that wasn't my fault, but I I got it. I want to tell you there's been a lot of hands that's been raised right now. Because just like Mephibosheth, sometimes we hurt and we weren't the ones who hurt us. But yet we bore the pain. Stand with me all over this house. We have some people that's going to help us pray. And very quickly... As they stand along this front and they face you, I want you to come here in a moment and face me, find someone to pray with. If you need Jesus Christ, if you need to return to him, if you've been hurt, I want you to leave your place right now. I want you to come and stand right here. Come on. Come on, church, let's give them a big hand. Several people raised their hands. I want you to come stand right here. If you lifted your hand for any reason, come on. Have some courage. We're going to pray. We're going to pray over you. We're going to pray over all this congregation. And we're going to thank God that we are at his table. And he is our king. And he's been looking for you. And he's been looking for me. Amen. You're going to wait just for a moment. I think there's somebody else that really needs to come. Because you've been hurt. Someone has dropped the ball in your life. And you're going to find some healing. God's going to speak to your heart. I really believe that today. I really believe that today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming today. Now, I need about 50, 60, 70 people to come and leave your seat. Would you come and just circle this group right here? Would you come up and lay your hand on their shoulder? Would you stand next to them? Would you just be here today and say, you know, you're not alone today. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to be here to pray for you. Matter of fact, I know there's a king looking for you. There's a king looking to show you love 
and kindness and generosity. There's a king that wants to slide you under his table to let you eat for the rest of your life his provision. Come on, let's pray together right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, of all the people who've walked up here, Lord, I'm praying that you would lead them and guide them. God, heal their hurt, bless their life. God, you see, you know, you know what was the fall. You, you know what crippled. You, you know what allowed them to feel maybe secondhand, second rate. But God, we're praying today that they realize you're looking for them. You're providing for them. You have a position for them. God, you have grace and love and mercy in their life. How many of you are glad that the Lord has a table for you? He even prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. How many of you know the guy who put Mephibosheth under his table is the guy who wrote that about the table in the presence of our enemies? God has a table, and he's feeding us with his goodness, his love, and his mercy. Come on, let's pray together. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we accept your provision. We thank you for the table you have prepared for us. We are your sons. We are your daughters. And God, you have received us with mercy and love and kindness. And we give you praise in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.